0: So as we follow through to Timothy, today we read from um, 1 verse 6 through to 14. So for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because our works but because our because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted
1: to you. Thanks, Susan, for that. morning, guys. For those of you that don't know me, and I think all of you do, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to um, lead you in the Word this morning. And um, I was at a, um, I'm just looking at the time and wondering how tired you guys are, but I was at a, a um, preaching conference for a couple of days this week, and you know when you get to a preaching conference, you get all these pastors and preachers together, and, and uh, there's always this one topic that they talk about, you know when you go to different, sort of like when you go to different conferences, there always seems that one hot topic, and the topic I discovered at preachers' conferences is, how long do you preach for? And uh, of course everyone's comparing and saying, oh my people can sit for this, you know, my, no they don't do that, that's not true. <laughs> I did. No, I didn't. I didn't. But then there's, so there's these two stories. And one story is of a, 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 a pastor who was notorious for preaching really, really long. And uh, the church was full of people and he begins to preach and he's getting on with it. And um, he preaches for two and a half hours. I, I heard that groan. He preaches for two and a half hours, but over the time, after about the one and a half to one and three quarter, people are looking at their watches, lunch is burning, you know, so people start leaving the church. To the end, he preaches, he finishes, just after two and a half hours, there's one person left sitting in the church, an old man, dead still. And he looks up, and he's obviously lost in his message, and he doesn't even know, so he looks up and he sees this one man, and he goes and checks, how come this, this guy's dead? Turns out he died perhaps an hour earlier. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but think about it. What a way to go under the word of the Lord, you know, in the presence of God with his people. Oh, really? And then there's this other story, and this, apparently this is true. There was a young guy in Sri Lanka back in uh, a while ago, he was a, a young, a radicalised, I don't know whether he was a Tamil rebel, anyway, he was radicalised, young, bit inexperienced and he figured that he felt like he wanted to prove himself and he wanted to kill Christians and so he figured if I'm going to kill Christians I should go to a church. So he goes up to a church that's full of people and um, him, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but he, he figured, oh, you know, um, being a bit inexperienced he goes up to the church and he thinks some modicum of decency was in him he thinks perhaps I should wait till they finished praying thinking that they're just in prayers but of course they weren't they're were in the sermon and this pastor in Sri Lanka was renowned for preaching long sermons and it went on and on And he's waiting outside and he got tired so he thought oh, I'm just going to sit in the back and wait well he got converted during that sermon he's now a pastor himself you know he didn't kill any Christians that day so that's just to say if I go long today if you're not a Christian here, you may become a pastor one day. <laughs> if you're old, no, never mind. <laughs> we're in, uh, we began last week, Joel led us into a the beginning of a short theme that we're doing for five weeks on 2 Timothy. We wanted to um, look at practical discipleship, we wanted to make sh- we wanted to um, Yeah, as a church, we like to look at doing practical things, things that help us to understand how to be disciples or how uh, to be followers of Christ in today's age. And so we've called it Discipling in Difficult Days. And uh, it's practical discipleship for us as individuals, but not just as individuals, also for us as communities. And um, that's in a world that can be really challenging at times. You know, culturally, it's challenging for us sometimes being a follower of Jesus socially, legally, uh, increasingly legally it's going to be difficult in some areas. Relationally it can be difficult, you, being a follower of Christ relationally, it doesn't always work so naturally nowadays in our relationships, even within families but also outside of families. And so we're using 2 Timothy to help us to see how we can be disciples and be disciple makers in the days that we're in. And last week Joel did an introduction for us and we, we read the first few verses of, of um, <clears throat> chapter 1 in 2 Timothy, Paul's intro. And, his, and in that intro he's, he talks about his personal connection with Timothy, you feel it, you read it, you see it. And he tells Timothy again that there's life, that, that the gospel, the, that the God's gift is life, that it's eternal, it's rich in Christ Jesus. The gospel promise has life and that that's something that Timothy can hold on to and for us we discover that's something that we can hang on to as well. He reminds Timothy that he's loved not just by Paul. Paul loves him as a son, but not just by Paul but by God himself and that that that's something that Timothy can depend on, that he's loved by God himself and he received that gift of love. And then we also looked at... um, for a snippet we looked at the influences that Timothy had in his life from his mother and his grandmother and, and generations and that, that influence wasn't just influencing in a, in a path but it was actually a rich gift. He calls it a rich gift that was given to him by um, his mother and grandmother and those around him. Generations, the blessing of the generations. So today we're reading just a, a little further in there. We're reading from 6 to 14 and I wanted to give us a little bit of a context to this letter, this second Second Timothy, because it's a little different than First Timothy, isn't it? Paul's writing from prison, that's not abnormal. He does that, you know, fairly often. We often talk about that. But this is probably the last letter that he's he writes, and it's different than the last time. Paul's convinced that this imprisonment isn't going to end well, that he's not going to get out of this one. This is going to be the end. He doesn't feel, he doesn't think he's going to live after this imprisonment, and he actually didn't. There's a lot going in at Rome right at this going on in Rome right at this point in time. Nero is descending into madness. Uh, literally, they say that he was going mad, and you might have read about that before. The city is failing everywhere. City structures and things and social structures, the city is failing everywhere. After that great fire of um, AD 64, the great fire of Rome. Everything starts to crumble and fail. Nero's going mad. But He wants to hang on to a modicum of his power and he deflects the blame for everything and Christians become a convenient target and persecution is going on big time and you may have read stories before where they would tar Christians and then they'd light them along the pathway so there'd be lights for for Nero's parties and all sorts of strange things were coming but also Christianity or being a follower of Christ they made it an unlawful religion and so... Being a follower of Christ at that time was really, really a struggle. Paul himself is seen by the authorities as, one, as now as one of the key agitators. The last letters, he's often been imprisoned in homes. You know he has home imprisonment. That's kind of okay, isn't it? You've still got internet, you still got your mum cooking, you've still got, you know. So... But this time he's not. He's in a deep, dark dungeon somewhere in chains, and this is the end. He's seen now as one of the key agitators for this movement, this Jesus movement. So much so that even a few of his workers abandoned him. If you read around that and you read in the letter, you'll see that he talks about some of the people that had abandoned him, that run off. Because it wasn't, it wasn't safe to be associated with Paul. His history of many imprisonments for the gospel have given him a reputation, and so people are distancing themselves. Even other Christians, other Christian leaders are kind of distancing themselves from Paul because he had a bad rep, and it was kind of dragging their reputation down. There was a negative stigma at being associated with Paul. This is a moment that Paul takes to write his second letter to Timothy. Some would even say he wasn't even strong enough to be able to write it. He dictated it. But Paul wrote this letter, at least dictated it. This is the moment he decides to write to Timothy in Ephesus where the church was experiencing the brunt of persecution. Again, we've talked about in Ephesians before, I've I've talked about some of the stuff that was happening in Ephesus, some of the challenges that were coming. Not least of those was the intellect coming into the church preaching a little bit of a different gospel or a little bit of a, you know, see it this way and undermining what Paul saw and what was the true gospel. So there was many challenges outside the church in Ephesus but also inside the church now as well. Idol worship, wealthy people, etc., false teachings. It was tough. And the flavour of this letter is different than 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy was written between four to seven years earlier than this one, but a lot has changed in that time. Paul's imprisonment has changed. He was free in between, but he's been imprisoned again, and it's gotten worse. And so the key word, it's not written here, but the key thought is endurance, is this is tough and we've got to endure. Paul's main concern, as always, is primarily the gospel. And always the purity of the message of Jesus, even in the church. And we can see, we'll see later on as we look in this letter, you'll see that there was a threat inside the church that Paul addresses as well. But Paul would dearly love to see Timothy too. He says in that letter, I'd really love to see you. So it's quite a personal letter, as this would be the last time that he would communicate with Timothy. And I think, we think Paul knew it. There's a deep personal connection and love kind of almost like a a father-son, a parent-son. Paul actually felt like his relationship with Timothy was like a son. So it was a really personal letter, however, but also because he knows he won't be around much longer to prop Timothy Timothy up or to continue to encourage him, he's concerned about Timothy's resilience and staying power. Timothy had a bit of a reputation. If you read some of the commentators, Timothy's reputation was as... Perhaps a little bit timid, um, a little bit afraid, uh, drew back a fair bit um, and that was a bit of a reputation and in his ministry and he began his ministry with Paul, Paul encouraged him and the workers around Paul and they encouraged him quite strongly but that was now not happening and Paul's perhaps a little concerned for Timothy's resilience and staying power. Things are tough in society and in the church. And Paul says the gospel needs faithful and faith-filled followers, people to uphold it. And I think those are key words that you know, that I've been praying for myself since I've been reading and, and beginning to study 2 Timothy, is that I would be faithful and faith-filled. Because you can be faithful to God, but to have guts and courage you need to be faith-filled as well. So remember those words, faithful and faith-filled. I don't think I've got them up here, but anyway. Faithful and faith-filled, and that's what Paul wanted. He knew the church needed that. The gospel needed disciples in difficult times to hang in there. And I don't know, we don't know whether Paul had heard anything about Timothy recently, or he just knew Timothy well enough, but he seems concerned for Timothy, but also for the church, and mostly for the gospel. So after reminding him in those first few verses that Joel led us through last week, after reminding him of life, love and faithful heritage, he goes on with the classic, for this reason, or therefore. And we all know what that means, you know. For what reason? Now we want to know, for what reason? For this reason. Because the gospel promises life, because you're loved by God and because you've got such a rich heritage, for this reason, fan into flame. There's a couple of things that he says in here. As usual, Paul says a lot. But I wanted to highlight just the two things that we might need to hear and be encouraged by. Two, um, when I read it, were two exhortations for me. And I felt like would be great exhortations for us as well. And the first one is verses 6 and 7 where he says, For this reason, because of all this, I remind you to fan into flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying in of hands. That laying laying on of hands was was spiritual and it was significant for Paul. He mentions that because it's important. That laying on of hands is a God thing. And God doesn't do timidity or fear when he lays his hands on you. He does power and love and self-control. Paul says it there. You know, you got the gift, Timothy, not because I gave it to you, because I gave you this position, because I was retiring. It was through the laying, in of, laying on of hands where a gift was, was part, given to you by God. And God does not do timidity. God does power. Love and self-control. And Paul reminds Timothy that it wasn't a cheap or a human gift. In his words, he's telling Timothy, remember this was from God, this gift. This call, this, this was from God. Some commentators say that Paul, being aware of Timothy's character, was concerned that Timothy had been pulling back a bit, like we just said. Afraid of conflict, avoiding conflict. And that the gift of God given to Timothy through the laying on of hands, which was a commission... May have been flagging a bit. And laying laying on of hands, like I said, is really significant for Paul because it meant the power to overcome. It can't have been easy for Timothy though, can it, really? Think about it for a minute. In Timothy, in the first letter to Timothy, Timothy was about 18 years old. So go figure, he's now 22 to 24, 25. I'm looking at you guys. You know, I'm, I'm aging some of you and I'm giving some of you grace. You know, so this is, this, and, and he is now responsible. It, it can't have been easy for him, can it? Go figure, he's 22 to 25 years old. That's a big ask. If I look at our young, what, about, what if that was you? What about if it was you, the new pro and people we baptised in the last couple of weeks? Because Timothy was about, he was being called, he, the laying on of hands had given him a commission that was ultra countercultural. Think about it Nero wants to burn you, people want to get in the church and undermine your message. You're being abused left, right, and so this is not easy to go along with. So, this commission that Paul's saying that Timothy has is countercultural in a big way, isn't it? And now since Paul wasn't going to be around to prop him up, Paul wanted to strongly urge him and encourage him. He might have been doubtful or concerned that Timothy had it and that he might have backed off. And so we see that in the language. And that's why Paul uses this language, fan into flame. Because why would you need to fan a flame if it was burning brightly? Why would you do that? Either it's gone out or it's become a coal that's just glowing and it's weak You don't need to fan a flame that's going really strong. Those of us that do campfires, barbecues, and try to cook a half-cooked sausage because the rest of it's gone out, I'm reminded of many years ago. We, um, when we came home from missions, when we were out, when we came home for furlough, we would stay in Sue's parents' house, and they lived in a place out Wandon. Wondon is cold in the winter because we had to leave Holland in the summer because so our kids had enough holidays, so we would always holiday in the winter in Wondon. Winter in Wanden is not fun. Winter in Wanden is cold. And Sue's parents are resilient, to say the least, so they have one wood heater in the whole house. And my father-in-law, Frank, is very adept at keeping a fire alive. I'm not. And so in the morning we'd get up at sub-zero temperatures and the fire would have gone out. Apparently there's a way to build a fire so that it's still glowing in the morning. I have yet not discovered it. Hence, gas-ducted is me. So I'd be there looking for something with a little paper. Have you ever done that? No, you haven't ever. I'm the only one that's ever done that. You know, I'm blowing and blowing. Half the ashes coming back at me. I've got two little toddlers telling me it's not working. You know, <laughs> So I get this fan into flame. You don't fan a flame that's going brightly, do you? You you fan a flame that's going out or has become weak. (laughs) And Paul's reminding me that it's a gift, it's a calling, it's a commission and it's already in him through the laying in of hands. So it must, it needs to burn powerfully. He says, even when it's tough, because in that call, in the laying on of hands, God gave us a spirit of power that came with, the, with that anointing, with that commission, didn't it? He gave us a spirit of power, of love and self-control. And it's interesting because when he says that, you'll notice that where he says that in verse 7, for God gave us a spirit, that's a small s. Paul's not just talking about the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying when you are commissioned by God, you get a spirit, you get a tenacity, you get a courage, you get guts, that kind of spirit. You know, when you talk about a spirited horse, or there's a, there's a young person with a lot of spirit, or that's what he's talking about as well. It's not just some religious term. He's given us a spirit, and God does that. He gives us authority, he gives us a Holy Spirit, but he gives us a spirit of courage, as opposed to cowardice. And he's reminding Timothy of that. And he said he gives us. So he's saying, it wasn't just you, Timothy, all of us. And I wonder whether that us is for us as well. For the sake of Christ, we're all anointed with that spirit. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he does refer to that. We'll see that a little bit later in verse 14. But this spirit of guts, that that knowing that being countercultural, knowing that Um, That it's going to be tough, you're going to need tenacity, you're going to need a spirit, you're going to need guts, you're going to need courage, you're going to need fight in you. How about us? How's our flame doing? How's your flame doing? Because if we're saved, then it's in us too, that gift of life, that commission, that, that laying in of hands. How's yours? Is your flame burning? Does it need fanning? You know, do I need to get down and blow in the front of your little heater? Because we can be a little bit the same. I can, you know, as Timothy sometimes, you know. I, you know, sometimes my flame has gone lower out. I feel like I don't know if I've got the courage or I don't know if I've got the guts to have this discussion. I don't know if I want to say in this place what I believe. And yet the word says that we're all commissioned, you and I. Matthew 28, and I put it up there to remind you of Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And now you can catch yourself thinking, yeah, but that was Jesus to the disciples. He was about to go and he's launching them into this new mission to create the church. And that was, it was going to be tough for them, but that was for them. But have a look at the last four words, the end of the age. We aren't there yet. And you're part of the end of the age, aren't you? We're part of that. So that's for us as well. That commissioning to go and make disciples is for you and me as well. It's not just for the disciples. It's not just to to launch this new thing called Christianity. God said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Who needs him at this time of the age? You and I do. He needs to be with us. So we're all commissioned, aren't we? But it's hard for us to be disciples or to disciple in difficult times. But we've not only been given the Holy Spirit, but God gives us a small s spirit too. He gives us boldness. He can give us courage when we need it, tenacity. The indwelling spirit gives us the prompt, gives us the urge, gives us the commission, gives us the the call But God can give us a small S spirit as well so that we have passion and guts and to go and get them and to get on with the gospel. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm not going to be around much longer. Timothy, I know what you're like, but you've got to have guts because God gave them to you. So the first thing he says is fan into flame the gift of God. The first exhortation for Timothy and I believe for us. Are you fanning into flame the gift of God? If I ask you who has the gift of God, you'll probably all raise your hands. Are you fanning into flame? Is it is it effective? Is it is it able to meet the culture? The second thing he says is, um, "Do not be ashamed." Doesn't it? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me. Don't be ashamed or don't pull back when it's tough. It's a holy calling, and suffering is part of it. The gospel is what saved you and it can save others and it's been entrusted to you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me, Paul. Well, you know, notice that or of me, Paul. That's where we get this indication that perhaps people were sort of distancing himself from this radical guy. Perhaps Timothy is also a bit embarrassed by being affiliated with Paul. Paul being a known criminal now. And Timothy's young. You know, it. when you're young, it matters who you're connected to, doesn't it? Actually, it matters all the time, but it seems to matter. You know, it matters. You know, you don't want to be associated with that person. That's going to be weird when I go to a party. You know, maybe Timothy was a bit embarrassed by being affiliated with Paul, a known criminal. Maybe he's a bit ashamed to admit being a Christian himself, particularly in the public forum, in the places that he finds himself, um... When he's asked, maybe he has a little bit of Peter, where Peter denied Christ when the going got tough. Maybe he's a bit ashamed to admit being a Christian, fearful. What will they say? What will they do to me? You know, four to seven years ago, it was exciting at first. I got, you know, I got asked by Paul to go on this missionary journey and we were off and it was kind of cool and we had all these guys with us. It was a faith mission, it was mission, but it's gotten tough and it's gotten scary and, and I'm, I'm young and, and my mentor's in a dungeon somewhere. I don't know if he's going to make it. Besides, I don't know if I want to hang around with him if he does. He becomes uncertain and maybe the shine and the freshness of this new faith, this new mission, this calling, this commission that's, that's really exciting, maybe the shine has faded a little bit. And maybe the boldness and courage you had to share the gospel. You know, when you first became a Christian, you'd tell anybody and and it was really good and it was exciting because you were living something different and maybe the boldness and courage diminished a little bit now because it's become tougher. Ever had that feeling yourself? Ever been in a group where you thought, hmm, I don't know I want to say that, you know. I can remember many years ago before we went into missions, I worked in the... The motor trade and the car trade and sitting around with mechanics in lunch hour or morning tea is not the most edifying conversation to have, you know, and um, some of the stuff they would say could be quite shocking to most human ears and I can still remember when they were talking about, somehow they got talking about Jesus and God and church and that and I was afraid, I didn't want to say. I thought, what will they think of me? What will they say to me? What will it be like, you know? Maybe that was what it was like for Timothy too. I wanted to avoid embarrassment. I didn't want to suffer in any way. I didn't want them to think less of me. Or maybe, you know, one of them was particularly the roughest, but he lived really close to me and so he would drive me to, you know, it was a half an hour drive. I would catch a lift with him for free every day to work. I didn't want to lose that. I'm Dutch. (laughs) I didn't want to suffer in any way. We can be ashamed of Jesus. We can be reluctant to stand out for him because it's scary, because it's tough and our world is similar. Not much has changed and I know we've said that before but it's so true. Our world is full of challenges right now, even right now and we can be the same. The climate is hostile to Christian values right now in our country and in many countries. Not just... No, we think it's garbage, or not just ah, oh, you guys are crazy. No, actively hostile to it now. Just like then, and maybe we're not yet being tarred and used to light the, uh, the used to light the way for the parties of the elite, but there are pockets of opposition, if not persecution, even in our country, and we know it's true in other countries. Social implications, professional and relational areas where there might be implications, cost to your image or your status or your reputation, maybe your business will suffer, we see that in some places, maybe your social circle you'll be affected, maybe suffering will come in your social circle, jobs, careers, belonging, just being part of a trendy group or whatever you're looking for, there's so many ways that suffering can come and I just read those out, they're the easy ways. In some countries, it's a whole lot worse than that. You know, and carrying out the commission, having courage, and standing up for Jesus can lead to suffering, and no one wants that, except Paul, as usual. Yet we know from the word that suffering is a part of following Jesus, isn't it? Paul says as much. Jesus said that the gospel would be offensive to some, that the light would be attractive to some and offensive to the others. Think of moths and cockroaches. You know, when you turn a light on, where does a moth go? To the light, right? Am I right? I've got that around the right way. And what if you, how many of you have, have cockroaches in your house? No. <laughs> well, in Uganda, they're big as horses. Well, maybe not horses. But they're big... And, you know, they're in the dark and as soon and you can hear them. That's how big they are. You can hear them trying to climb up onto your bed or to, you know, not really, but they, you can hear them scratching around. What happens when you turn the light on when there's cockroaches in the room? They run. That's the difference, you know. That's kind of a great analogy, isn't it? A moth, be a moth that's drawn to the light or a cockroach that's, um, that's dispelled by the light. The light's attracted and Jesus said that. By the way, the cockroaches in Uganda, you can bang them with the heel of your shoe and they just say huh, and they keep going. Those guys are tough. Suffering. Paul actually invites Timothy, as it were, to share in the suffering. Go figure. Like it's a good thing. You know, share with me in the sufferings of Christ. Don't be ashamed, share with me. Parents usually absorb suffering for their kids if they can, am I right? That's what a parent normally does in our our economy. And yet Paul asks him to join or to share in the suffering. He wants Timothy to. Why? Why would that be? I think there's two two reasons Paul says it like that. First one is purpose. First, God's purpose, and then it becomes our purpose the purpose which he gave us. If you have a look up there, I think I put it up there. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. I think he invites Timothy to share in suffering, not be ashamed share, because he knows that purpose is there and that Timothy needs purpose. Join in the cause, join in the purpose. For Paul and Timothy and for us, It's a holy calling. So it's for the kingdom and it's for the gospel, but Paul knows that Timothy needs purpose and needs to see the why and the worth of suffering. We all need purpose, don't we? We know that purpose can motivate us to do much as humans. Historically, we see that. We know that as humans, we will pay a price for purpose. We'll perhaps even suffer for a purpose. The French Revolution... History, many suffered for a purpose. The uh, Italian Revolution, I think I've told that story once before of a man called Garibaldi that was a rebel who wanted to free his. Italy was, was, in, was occupied and, and it was offensive to him and he wanted to free Italy and he held rallies in the town square. And he said, Join me in freeing Italy. I promise you, if you join me in the rebellion, you will suffer. You'll suffer hardship, sickness, pain, and even death but follow me and we will free Italy. And history will tell you that thousands of young people driven with purpose followed Garibaldi and they actually freed Italy, but many of them died in the process. Modern day jihadists, they'll suffer a lot because there's a purpose. Think of the Second World War with the Hitler youth and the people that followed Hitler. These were all purposes and we could mention more, but they were not godly Purposes were they. Timothy's and ours is godly. Given by God when he saved us through Christ. That's what Paul said. He gave you this when he saved you through Christ. It's a holy purpose with eternal fruit. And a purpose of this kind is worth suffering for. So he knows that Timothy is a young man that needs to have a mission, needs to have a purpose, needs to live out this calling, and he invites him to share in suffering because it's worth it. And the second why, why would Paul urge Timothy to join him in suffering? Why is Paul not ashamed at all? Because God is great and able. Did you see that verse in there where he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know... Who I believe, I know and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me because he knows who God is. Paul knows. Timothy, it's worth suffering because I know this God we follow is able and he wins. I know who wins. God wins. Paul sees the big picture that God has shown him and he's absolutely convinced of God's plan and power. So he says, Stick to the plan, Timothy. Stick to the plan. Follow the pattern of sound teaching and words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Stick to it, Timothy. I know it's tough, but stick with the plan because it's a sound plan, it's a solid truth. What about us? Do we know? Do you know that God is able? Do you know who wins? Do you know who's in control? You know, Joel was sharing with us in the prayer time and he shared it just before the scripture where the whole world is God's. And as kids we sang he's got the whole world in his hands. And we kind of believed it then, didn't we? But we don't now sometimes. Has he? Really? Got the whole world in his hand? Are you absolute, are you like Paul? Oh, that's one back. That you're absolutely convinced, and I'm convinced that he's able. Do you know who wins? Do we ask God for the bigger picture when discipleship gets a bit tough? Are we convinced that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's doing what he said he would do and he will do what he said he would do? Do we believe that? Do we believe that with salvation that we also received a calling laced with the power of God? That calling didn't just come but it came along with the power of God. That calling wasn't just a calling to see what you can do for me. It was a calling with here's a commission and with that commission came the power of God. Do we believe that? Did that? Is that your experience? Do you, do you know that? Is that what the word says to you? Do we stick to the plan? Do we remind ourselves of the truth? Like he's saying to, Paul, to Timothy, remind yourself of the truth. Do we do that? Do we remind ourselves of the sound teaching that God has given us? And it could have been through church, through friends, through family, through history, through books. Do do we remind ourselves through the word? Remember last week where where Joel was talking about family, church, mentors, people who taught us? The challenge of our society today and the fear, the challenges in our society today and the fear that's associated with that can be something we struggle with. So we remain silent and remind ourselves that, you know what, God wins. He's more than able. I'm convinced that He's able to do it. And He's done it in so many lives before. Why would He not do it in mine? I'm convinced that He's given me the power and the call to stand up for Him. So, how do we fan into flame our faith? How do we do justice to what God has entrusted us with the gospel? How do we keep from pulling back in fear and in shame? How do we hang in there when discipleship's tough? Well, the clue's in the last verse that we read today in verse 14, isn't it? By the Holy Spirit, capital S, Spirit, indwelling us. You know, when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, I need to go now and it's better for you if I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just going to come upon you like in Old Testament times, like Elijah, that when you need him, he'll come upon you and you'll be able to do this magnificent thing. No, it's going to be different. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to live in you, indwell you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. How cool is that? Is that cool? Mm. That's the power that God has given you to combat, to given us, to combat the human tendencies we have, the weaknesses. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit when we joined with him. When you said yes to Jesus, when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, his Holy Spirit took up residence in you and that's the power you have to say, God, I need help, I want to do this, I understand the calling, I understand the commission you've given me Move me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we need the Holy Spirit, but we also need each other. Notice the word that Paul said, share, share with me in the suffering. You can't share in something alone, can you? I never share a block of chocolate with myself. Actually, I do, sneaky. Confession time. Me, myself, love a block of chocolate every now and then. But you don't share. That language wouldn't work. You don't share something with yourself. You share with somebody. So share with me in the suffering. Even if it's suffering, you can't share in something alone. And we know that sharing helps, don't we? know. And we have all those things. A burden shared is a burden halved. And, and you know that sharing things with people helps. Well, we need each other. We need each other to learn and to keep learning. I don't always know how to speak. Or how to teach into the world that we live in. Even in a church that we I don't always need. I need to keep learning and growing. And I need each other. I need you. I need us. Sharing helps you to be and stay strong. I'm not always strong. I don't always know how to approach things or how to answer things. We need each other to grow in boldness and courage. I can be easily silenced or fall into waning or, or or wanting to be liked or or not to be in conflict. It's it's much nicer being a pastor of a church where everyone really loves you. Right? I'll say that again. It's much nicer being a church where everyone really You know, seriously it is. Who doesn't like that? But I need us. I need each other. We need each other. We need to share to grow in boldness and courage. that we can be fellow followers in the world, that we can help each other. Paul said, guard the good deposit. It's a good deposit. God is good. In the end, he said, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's good, Timothy. It's not bad. It's good. His purposes are good. His way is right and the world is his. And that's a word to you and I today. That's not going to change. It's still God's will today. God will continue to move forward and see his kingdom come and we're called to keep moving forward. Jesus is our model, isn't it? Jesus is the one we look to. His flame burnt strongly. His passion for us, his passion to save us was unwavering. He wasn't ashamed of the Father or ashamed of the truth. He spoke it boldly and it cost him. He spoke it boldly knowing that it would change lives yours and mine included. That's why we're sitting here today. And he suffered for it. You know, when when we're ashamed, when we're fearful of suffering, we look to Jesus who was not only not ashamed, but he actually took our shame on himself. Not only was he not ashamed, he said, give me your shame. He took our shame on himself. Our ashamedness was cast on him. Every time that I think... I'm so ashamed of Jesus and I feel so guilty for for doing that. Jesus took that. Not only was he not ashamed, he took your shame. And while we can suffer sometimes, look at Jesus who genuinely suffered to the point of death just so that we could live. And he did it willingly. Not because he had to, not because he felt obliged to, but because he loved us and he loves us deeply. Knowing... That his work would save us from our sin and save us from ourselves. That his work would restore us to a right relationship with God. That it would give us life. Back to the start of what what Paul is telling Timothy, it's life. It would be a good gift. That's what Jesus' sacrifice gave us, a good gift, new hope and a purpose that eclipses any purpose that you could ever dream up. Because after you go, if you walk through life ashamed and you never testify to Jesus, or if you do, his kingdom is coming, with or without you. And Paul says to Timothy, with you. And Paul says to us, with you, because of you. Look to him, keep the flame hot, take up the challenge. Take up the call that he entrusted you with. Remember he gave that to all of us, to be faith, a faithful and faithful disciple as well as to disciple others in these difficult days. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy, because it's a good mission. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Andrew, because it's a good mission. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you, whatever your name is, because it's a good mission. Fan into flame and don't be ashamed. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for your word, for instruction, for reminding, but also for reminding us just how great you are and how much you've done. That we don't walk into a situation a situation that's unprepared or that you don't even know about, that's surprising to you. We're not part of a world that has shocked you, that you weren't watching for a moment and things have gotten real bad and you're 100% aware of where we are. And your commission is 100% enough for us to be your ambassadors. Lord, I pray that where we struggle, where the flame, where the passion for you, even in our own lives or our own families or situations has has gone, has backed off, has gone to a glow or needs fanning, Lord, I pray that you would fan into flame by the power of your spirit, but that you'd use those people around us to fan that into flame, that we would be eager for that. Lord, I pray the situa- for the situations that we're ashamed or scared or worried or, or how's this going to work, that you would give us courage, that we would get the s- small s spirit And be filled with tenacity and courage, knowing that it's a good gift. That it's a life-changing gift, not just for us, but also the world around us. That those that we love need to know who you are. That life eternal is a great gift. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us where we need to be taught. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Give us the boldness that we need. Surround us with people to, to grow us and encourage us. And Lord, we do declare your kingdom will come. It doesn't look like it sometimes in some countries, even our own. It doesn't look like it when we look at politics. It doesn't look like it when we look at lobby groups. But it's an unstoppable force. And we declare your kingdom will come in Jesus' name. Amen.